My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. After he had fed the people, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and precede him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After doing so, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat, already a few miles offshore, was being tossed about by the waves, for the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, he came toward them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. At once, Jesus spoke to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him in reply, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw how strong the wind was, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught Peter and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind died. Those who were in the boat did a homage, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Burning church buildings, anarchist and satanic symbols, and decapitated statues of Christ was the lead sentence of one story this week describing attacks that had been experienced all across the country on, on Catholic churches. Another story announced that a group of members from a satanic cult were arguing for the exemption from one state's very few abortion restrictions as a means of safeguarding their religious freedom. Couple that with the reality of people's access to mass, to worship being limited or forbidden or prohibited depending on where you were in the country and however you want to characterize this experience, whether you, you want to describe it as being prudent for health and safety or some massive overreach of government authorities, it doesn't really matter. If people ever wondered what was meant by the phrase spiritual warfare, we seem to have more than enough examples to point to all around us and even to us. All of these things seem to underscore the, the battle between good and evil that seems to have taken a, a dramatic shift. For the vast majority of 
of friends who are sharing and commenting on these stories, and I can use the terms friends loosely since it's coming from Facebook, there's two major reactions. For some, they have a tremendous amount of anxiety and fear as they're sharing these things, while others seem to dismiss it outright as some wacko religious extremism, just saying spiritual warfare is enough for them to tune out. And neither of these extremes are particularly helpful, which is why the scriptures are so important and relevant for today. Because today's scriptures talk about spiritual warfare in very incredibly dramatic ways. First, we hear from the Old Testament reading from the book of Kings. This particular passage is often cited because of that soothing gentle way that God's presence is made known to the prophet Elijah as a a whispering sound. After he's not found it and experienced the more fantastical displays in which one would think you'd find the Almighty, a strong driving wind that crushes rocks, kind of like the winds we had the other day, or an earthquake or a fire. But we have to get to the context of the story to see what else was at play. Why was Elijah looking for God? But there's a particular reason. Because he had just said to God in a few verses earlier, he was done with everything. In fact, he's more blunt. He says, enough, Lord, take my life. Elijah, as God's prophet, had just proven the authority of the Lord God Almighty, of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, in opposition to the pagan god of Baal. A battle that had him versus 400 of these false prophets in this incredible showdown, this incredible display. It's chapter 18 of the book of Kings. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Go look at it yourself. You're missionaries. You have nothing else to do. Anyway, it was so definitive that the people of the kingdom immediately repented repented of their doubt and their their lack of faith in the Lord God and immediately slaughtered the 400 false prophets. On top of this miracle and this repentance, this whole experience ends this drought that the people have been suffering under for, for years. God brought rain down, another sign and another affirmation of Elijah and his prophecy. So there's all these spectacular things that Elijah had prophesied and witnessed come about. All that remained was one opponent, Queen Jezebel, who was the one trying to get the Jews to abandon the Lord in favor of Baal. Jezebel didn't take too kindly to being proven wrong and her beliefs to being shown false and the 400 prophets to be dispatched. So she sends word to Elijah, may the gods false gods. May the gods do thus to me and more if by this time tomorrow tomorrow, I have not done with your life what was done to each of them. Think about all that Elijah had accomplished yet the threat of one powerful woman makes him buckle, run for his life and wish for his death. Fear eclipses his heart and soul and and this experience of spiritual warfare. Similarly, in the gospel, we pick up where we left off last Sunday. This is right after the miracle of the loaves and fishes, the miracle of Jesus curing people of illnesses and diseases for hours. 
hours later, at Jesus' command, the disciples set off into a boat on this 13-mile journey to the other side as Jesus wants to have that alone time in prayer that he initially set off for in last week's gospel. So they're in the boat. The waves, the winds are hard against them. It's in the middle of the night. All of a sudden, the storm is picking up. It's getting more and more intense. And Jesus walks on the water towards them. All those present realities had eclipsed in their hearts and their minds the memories of the glories that they had just experienced hours earlier as fear eclipses their heart and souls. They start thinking Jesus is a ghost. When Jesus tells them to take courage, to not be afraid, Peter decides to demonstrate his authority as the spokesperson for the group and says to Jesus, prove yourself. <laughs> Lord, if it is you, command to me to come to you on the water. And in Jesus' love and in his mercy, he does. Amazing, inviting him, come. And spectacularly, Peter walks on the water as well. And right there in the middle of the miracle, Peter diverts his attention from Christ, looks to the waves, feels the wind, becomes frightened, and starts to sink. We hear Jesus respond to Peter, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's easy to imagine Jesus is frustrated or disappointed with Peter, but I think it's a more loving, more instructive thing than it is judgmental or dismissive. He's trying to draw Peter and the others and all of us into deeper faith with him. Because the reality is things are going to get a lot windier and choppier for the apostles than this one bad night at sea. There's no denying it's going to be difficult to remain faithful in the face of fear. The devil is going to constantly find ways to sow fear and anxiety and doubt that will be seemingly tailor-made for each individual, whether it's a missionary, a priest, a prophet, a first pope. Even when we've encountered Jesus Christ in profound, personal, intimate ways like you may have over this past weekend of your retreat, even when we've seen God's glory and majesty revealed to us, even when we can point to how we've experienced God's favor and blessing in our own lives or in the lives of those we love, those around us, it never stops the devil from coming after us. If anything, he doubles down in coming at us. What better triumph could he have than to have Elijah giving into fear and depression, longing for death? Or for Peter to abandon ship after all that he has experienced? All they would do would undermine the power and authority of God's miracles and give the false impression that the spiritual battle between God and the powers of darkness is a match of equals, which it's not, not by a long stretch. St. Paul, the devout Jew, who became the even greater Christian apostle, testifies to that in the second reading today, which comes from his letter to the Romans. He's saying the Jews had come to know their dignity, their destiny as God's chosen people through covenants that God had made with them, but God's love is unconditional. 
and is perfectly and clearly shown in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. For us, witnessing all the spiritual battles of 2020, we have to renew ourselves in that truth. Yes, we should be taking these obscenities and these attacks on our faith seriously. We can't allow ourselves to be lukewarm or passive or apathetic about these things, thinking, just ignore them, they'll just go away. But we can't give in to abject fear either. We have to remember that in the midst of his flight, Elijah didn't even need or receive fire from the sky like he had witnessed previously. He just needed that whispering, loving voice of the Almighty. Peter simply needs to call out to Jesus, and Jesus' hand is in Peter's hand, and they're on the boat, and nature is subdued. God's promises are irrevocable, most especially to be with us always. This Catholic author, Gary Zimak, puts it like this. Don't be afraid to be afraid because it's an emotion. Fear is emotionally neutral. It only becomes a problem when it prevents us from doing what God wants us to do. Whenever you're afraid, recognize you're given a chance to trust in Jesus. As you continue to take advantage of these opportunities, you will find fear decreasing and your faith increasing.